This podcast series is sponsored by Havwids, the prevailing name in beautiful wood flooring design. Gracing the surfaces of hotels, workspaces, private residences and more, Havwids offers stunning wood flooring and cladding options in all conceivable colours and designs. Visit our showrooms today or contact us for more detail at havwoods.com forward slash UK. Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the interior design community for the interior design community. My name is Jeff Hayward and today with my co-host Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors in the wonderful surroundings of the Havwood showroom here in Clerkenwell, we're exploring ways that designers can work smarter, not harder. It's a familiar problem. It seems that the only way designers and architects can achieve the quality results that their clients expect is to produce drawings and other information in such detail that there is no room for misinterpretation on site and that nothing could possibly ever go wrong. Yet, despite every detail being carefully documented, some contractors still seem incapable of faithfully executing our designs. And added to this, it can be almost impossible to charge clients for all the time that it takes to produce that information in the first place. But was this always the case or has something fundamentally shifted? And if so, how can designers do less and still achieve the perfect product for their clients? Welcome to the interior design business. To work out how we got here and what designers can do to solve the problem, we're delighted to be joined today by Matt Freeman, Director at Freeman Studio and President of the British Institute of Interior Design, and Anna Burles, Creative Director and Founder of London-based studio Run for the Hills. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Before we begin, can you both give us a brief introduction to yourselves and your businesses? Anna, would you like to kick us off? Absolutely. So I am, we are 11 years in and we are a husband and wife duo. So it's myself on the interior side and my husband is graphics, branding and art. So we do everything. We do commercial and residential. In a restaurant, my team will design the interiors. My husband's team will design the brand, the logo, the signage, the menu, the cookbook, all of those kind of things, but resi as well. So. Fantastic. And Matt? And I'm the current president of the British Institute of Interior Design and I have my own studio, Freeman Studio. I'm an interior designer for residential and I suppose smaller commercial uh, with a focus on circular design. And I think you have, a, you have a background in much bigger projects as well, don't you, having worked for some large practices in the past? Yeah, so I've worked for 20 years across various different projects, lots of different types, hospitality, commercial, residential. Um, some very big, maybe like 130 million, down to dressing and styling bookcases on projects. So I've worked across a really varied scope. Um, Anna, what about the sort of projects? What's this, the breadth of what you say? We are probably more, we're, we're more of a boutique really. Um, we've just completed two uh, hotels in Switzerland, which are 130 keys each, where we did everything, the bedrooms, the social spaces, the restaurants, the bar, absolutely everything. So they're our biggest projects. Um, but normally Heartland would be casual dining, restaurants, bars, cocktail bars, boutique cinemas, that kind of thing. So just, just kick off the discussion. How do you think the designer's role, or in fact, has the designer's role changed since the millennium? Um, when I started at university, we were hand drawing everything. And at the end of university, which is 2003, we just started using CAD. 
and I think from there to today there's massive jumps so I suppose you have BIM modeling which is what I did when I was in a larger architectural practice which everything is in 3D you can use really good tools like clash detection so you can see where things collide with other things and it brings you a list so you can check that the interfaces between things are not hitting each other. So you don't try and put a, a radiator where you've got sockets and switches, for example? Um, yeah, that and a lot to do with structure and services. Yeah. And then it's good for scheduling things out. So if you this chair, for example, had a code, you can say how many of those chairs are in the project and it will schedule them out. And then you can put prices next to them, specifications, and it can generate a spec amazing, for it. Amazing. So it helps QSs sort of quantify projects, which is the whole idea of it. So you've got a better idea of how much the project's going to cost in the end. And then I suppose things like CGIs, because that, I don't know what, where CGIs were, the, the noughties, early noughties, but now, Who's augmented reality and things like that, I think that's progressed massively, so. And Anna? Same, same really. I'm mean, obviously working for much smaller companies than where Matt started his career. So I would say we've had a sort of trajectory, which is really interesting. So in the early days of the business, we were probably working on smaller residential projects and very small, uh, maybe more creative workspaces, but HQ for Audible, for example, Amazon company or advertising agencies. And they wouldn't necessarily have a project manager. They would, certainly wouldn't have a QS. So you felt the need to create a dossier of information. Uh, you kind of felt alone, really, apart from a building manager, possibly. You felt quite alone, so felt the pressure to, to create that uh, documentation. Um, and it would be CAD, actually. I've always worked in CAD, because mm. by the time I graduated, well, yeah, I started hand-drawing, but by the, by the end, it was everything was in CAD. Um, but then as we've kind of progressed, I think the expectation just has got greater for us to not only do the drawing package in 2D in CAD, possibly sketch up 3D modeling, mm. certainly CGIing, um, photo real CGIs, uh, rendered elevations, you know, the, the, the deliverables in terms of graphics are great as well as the, the details in terms of CAD. Yeah, because clients want to be, if they're investing lots of money, they want to be able to see what they're going to get for their money. Or so. certain clients can't read CAD drawings, yeah. so they need to see the visuals. Have designers become more professional the more they've used CAD systems? I can't imagine having done a project hand drawing personally. No. Now that we're using CAD, the ability to copy, paste, delete, go back, change an iteration, manage revisions, manage revisions. Yeah. the time that it must have taken to do that by hand, I imagine would have prevented some of the quite necessary. Sometimes it's a client required change. Sometimes it's a value engineered required change. Sometimes it's a design initiated change isn't it you to just, improve the design you, work out, you, you work out a way it's better moment that you can do it better exactly. absolutely but you you can do that so yes i i and i i've always imagined that pre-cad that possibly interior designers if we were in in the world of architecture and you know that obviously architects trained for seven years and we've we've always possibly felt like the the other industry haven't we i, I think cad projected us into a more professional sphere. We were a bit the poor relation, I think, and you're right, it's sort of, it's it's pushed us out into the open. And I mean, it's been beneficial because it's given us a seat at the top table, but you know, I wonder whether it's all for the greater good. But there is the sort of technical side of it as well. So the internet was only just starting at the beginning of the 2000s as well. So you've got things like Pinterest, so you don't have to cut magazines up anymore, take photographs, scan them in. And then sourcing the and the sourcing the pool to source from would have been so much smaller 
Whereas now there's so many options. Yeah, sure. I mean, my, my business goes back 30 years and, you know, so I am pre-internet. You know, I remember that, you know, the, the biggest, most important piece of kit in the office was the fax machine. Mm. But, you know, you used to you used to source out of catalogues. And if, if the drawing in the catalogue wasn't quite what you were thinking or you needed to, there wasn't a dimension that you needed, you used to phone them up and say, I'm looking at part number XXXX. Can you tell me what the projection is from the countertop to the tap hole or whatever it happened to be? And as a consequence, we all used a really small group of suppliers. So you mm. had your sort of favoured suppliers because they were the ones that were helpful they were generally. And they were trusted. And the rest of them you just didn't bother with. Whereas obviously today, depending on the budget that you may have on a project, if you've got carte blanche and it's a really nice budget, you're probably going to be sourcing and specifying from very nice suppliers who you would hope are still very helpful and yeah. have all of that information. I have worked on projects where the budgets have been very tight in the extreme. They may not look it when they're photographed. They look lovely and they are lovely. But if you're buying something off um, you know, the internet or mm. supplier you've not worked with before, a lot of that information may be missing. And the yeah. projection is absolutely not what it is on mm. the sketch drawing. Yeah, exactly. And it can cause all kinds of untold problems. problems. In, a, in a bathroom, for example, it just simply doesn't stretch quite far enough into the sink so that there's lots of splashing and it's just not a nice experience. It's not your fault as a designer, but you feel that it will be perceived that way. Yeah, and it's a quality it's the thing. price point and a quality point. Yeah, I think quality when things turn up and you're like, oh, I'll have to send that back because it's not... If there's all... time to send it back. Well, yeah. But um, then you should always go and try and see you know, things. You get stung for a 25% restocking charge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I think the sustainable side of it as well, there's so much more information out there. When you want to ask about fabrics or how some, something's made, where has it been transported from, mm. that whole world of information is there. So as interior designers, you've got to choose materials. You've got to choose them sustainably. You've got to think about how long they last. Are they fit for purpose? There's so many things to think about. So I do think interior designers, the role has probably got much bigger since the beginning of I think 2000s. it's, I would say it's, it's spread in width, but also in depth. Yeah. 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 And yeah. responsibility and from responsibility. things. Yeah. Because you wouldn't, I don't know, you could have had all the slip resistances to the nth degree like you have them now. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that is uh, very complex and there's a lot to think about, which is why you have massive teams on projects. How often do designers find themselves revising and reissuing of their information, Anna? All the time. <laughs> and more than you ever want to. And it's just the it's the bet noir, isn't it, of the costing and the estimating and the, you know, mapping out the project phase. Yeah, I mean I think we all we would all when we put in a fee proposal, you allow for a certain number of revisions. Absolutely. And it might be three, four, five, however many revisions you've allowed for, and it's always going to be double plus what you've allowed for without question in, in my yeah, experience without question and sometimes even more and there are all kinds of reasons aren't there it could be um, value engineering it's cost the the designs had to change the plan for it's had to change the different contractor doesn't work in that way so you have to change it sometimes it's what specified didn't work it, yes ex exactly <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah all of those things but but sometimes it's just change client changing their mind as well. but then you or should other be stakeholders able... changing their minds. Yeah, but you should be able to charge for that if it's you should. changing. But then you don't you want to should. be petty no. saying, oh, I'll charge you for this little yeah. thing. And then you kind of give a little bit. So you don't want to jump, you don't want to go in. Otherwise you end up being much. like those terrible contractors that sort of nickel and dime clients yeah. to death by, you know, charging for every additional screw. It's, yeah. it, it leaves a nasty taste. And I don't, don't think you can maintain your client relationship under those sorts of Which is circumstances. The important thing, you need to make sure they're happy and if you do look like you're trying to nickel and dime them then they'll just get annoyed.
So it's yeah, maintaining that relationship. So, yeah. isn't it? Because sometimes I'll look at, I don't know, about your title block and you've got your revisions tracked. So we'll have our revisions tracked. And <clears throat> in the past, I might have said that it's revision three and it's, it's maybe a summary of what it was. But actually, we'll put more detail these days just so it's obvious whether it's a client request or a contractor yeah. request or whatever, just so we can track how many were genuine, how many were we really should have gone back and requested, you know, um, and they're just in reams sometimes on certain drawings. And if you calculate the time that it would have taken that designer to do all of those changes, you look back at the scope of work, mm. the costing and the time allocated, it's just off the scale in certain instances. And in the olden days, before we had the CAD systems, you simply wouldn't have done them because you couldn't possibly have hand drawn the thing that many times. What would you add to that, Matt? Um, I would add about private clients at the moment. What I tend to do is tell them when we're making a change and that we're going to let that go as a freebie and just keep track of them and then when you get to a point you say we're going to have to start charging for these things because we've done all of these items and we've got to that point now that the, good the kindness the goodwill is past and but if it's something that you're changing because you see a better way of doing it and therefore you're you're improving the design that's the how can you go that's design development but yeah. how, you can't go back and say to the client we're going to charge you for that no, I don't think you go back and do it. You give them a quote and say, to make that change, it's this much. So on the project at the moment... Even if it's something they haven't asked for? No, I was going to say on a recent project where they've chosen a fabric and we've ordered it, then they've changed their mind. They would say, can I change it for something else? And you say, let's just look into what's happening and the status of it. You've already placed the order. The fabric's on its way. If you want to change it, you've got to pay for that fabric and another fabric and the time frame for that is another eight weeks for that fabric to get to the upholsterers. So you give them a full picture of what it is and how much it's going to be to make that change. And then it's up to them what they want to do. But, yeah. So I, what I'm hearing here is that there's a change management system that needs to be in place so that you're tracking and recording those changes as you make them. And but that is also will, not terribly easy not when easy. you're dealing with a young team. It, yeah. it isn't. They don't think to do it. No. So, for example, my team will report, oh, we, this, is, this is the eighth change this week. And I'll say, well, did, does the client, is the client aware that we've made seven changes gratis? Mm. Oh, no, we haven't mentioned it, but now we feel it's enough now. It, it, we can't go back to the client if we haven't um, gently let them know happy to subsume this it's a half an hour change yeah. or a 15 or 20 minute change but when it suddenly becomes a whole extra day of yeah. CAD but it's tricky if they haven't said anything so um, I think that put, that comes down to I suppose you making them aware at the beginning of the project and you know you've got this amount of time to complete this work then if you go over that you go above you make these changes this is a consequence of those changes and then I suppose you have to say there is a bit of leniency we can do these things but you won't be getting a pay rise or you won't be getting a bonus or anything if you spend all of the profit and that you don't make any money on it's, the project. It's a painful process though, isn't it? Because when you're learning, it comes yeah. To, but also not many designers come into it for the commercial aspect. They are doing it for the love of design. They're creatives at heart yeah. and it's just not the way they tick. Yeah. So, and I, you know, it, I, I find it tough having to be, not bad cop, but you know, you, you, you have to kind of bring it back to the commercial I find myself stuck between a rock and a hard place when, you know, my, one of my designers, I'm, I'll look over and I'll see that they're working and say, did you finish and issue that already? Oh, yes, but I've just, you know, I've had this fantastic idea. So <laughs> do you say, stop, no. go back to what you've already done. If it really genuinely is a fantastic idea, shouldn't you be pushing the envelope and making that as good Which as it can be? All the difference the makes it even more award-winning and it's a fantastic project. It's really tricky, it's really isn't it? But, but the, 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 tri the tri trickiest situation we find is where there are multiple stakeholders. So 
it, whether it's husband and wife commercial team, you know, uh, of our restaurant team, and you haven't received the, the joined up feedback. Mm -hmm. So you've enacted changes and then someone very important comes in who has an entirely different view. And, I, yeah. you know, it's really difficult in that mm -hmm. scenario when they've been a repeat client, they're really good to you in lots of other ways. Do you dig your heels in and say it's a rebrief? Or do you say, can we just try and make sure we have all, everything now and we just hit it in one go? It, it, it can be really tricky. Yeah, that, so I have a briefing document to sit down with clients and that's what I say from the beginning, that whoever's in the meetings has to be the person that signs the it signs off, off. I mean, and agrees it. There's no point in me talking to X and then Y signs it off and then mm -hmm. I have to justify that to them. We do. Because we don't too, have time for no. going backwards and forwards because yeah. you're going to hold the project up. So. Oh, and we always ask people who's the decision maker when we when we do a briefing document we always make sure that that's documented yeah. because in residential projects you get a husband and wife team and even in this enlightened age it's often the the, the wife who's doing having fun doing the design and then the husband turns around and says i'm not paying for that yeah. and you've wasted the time and then you yeah. and then you make her cross because anything you show her after that she won't like because she's still got the dream in her head but even com on commercial projects quite often as you said that they're a partnership and you'll have one one who sees themselves as the creative and the other one who's the money bags yeah. and so you have to have the money you have to take the money bags with you yeah you do so you can't entirely say i thought we'd agreed that you know x part of the partnership was the decision maker you still have to make them feel heard don't you so it's it's a really tricky balance, isn't it? And you don't want to be the voice of boring doom, not doom, but just you, you don't want to be the bean counter with the team as well, because you have to keep their spirits up and you have to inspire mm, them and they have to still love the design. I yeah. still love the design process. I want to design the most amazing project. You just also have to then balance where we've got a fee, fee structure here and you've got a time structure here and just trying to get those two to talk to each other. Mm. Which do you think is worse, commercial clients or resi clients for, for this sort of change? Depends on the size of the project. Moving, moving the goalposts. Depends on the size of the project and how many, how many people you're dealing with in terms of the change. Because if it's a simple change on a resi project and you're changing a carpet from one thing to another, but if it's a big commercial project and then you're changing a carpet for an entire floor, there's QS you've got to speak to, you might have to update your drawings, there's so many knock-on effects of it, whereas something small is an easy change. And you can say, well, we've not ordered it, it's an extra £1,000 to make the change. Fine. But if it's a commercial project, it, it's a lot more people involved in in coming to a decision and agreeing. So it just varies, doesn't it? It really varies. I'd say probably more complex on the commercial side. Also with value engineering, which is another That's huge area yeah. of, of change requests, yeah. isn't it? Um, getting the project, for example, at the moment, we, we try and encourage um, clients and if they have a QS, if they have a QS or a project manager who might act in that capacity or, or, or just a team leader to just early QS, the mm. design development elevations and the early ideas of the spec. Let's just get a cost going because based on what that spits out, let's just design something that we can achieve rather than we all absolutely love mm. what we're coming out with. Dreams, and then yes, and, and then you can't afford it. And then yeah. there's a huge amount of revisions, but not every client and not every commercial operator is happy to do that early QS. No, I'm, I'm always astonished. We say, to, we say to clients, you know, for a few hundred pounds, in the scheme of things, we could get a QS to cast an eye over this and it would just give you some surety. Yeah. And the number of them that said, oh, no, I don't need that. It's extraordinary. Uh, to me, it's just, it makes so much sense. It's money so well invested at the outset. Mm. And, you and that's your caveat, isn't it? <laughs> when we get to this point and we have to VE and we have to reassure all our drawings, then we told you so. Do the design tools that you're now using lead to a higher standard of design? I think through tools like SketchUp and 3D modeling, you can resolve a lot of the details 
and you can get the designers to really think about junctions and how things meet other things. Um, just how things feel in perspective too. Yeah. Same with CGI's actually. We've made some quite critical decisions over finishes by creating a, a photo real image of the space. We just, it needs to feel fresher. So ditch the wood floor, we're gonna go with a really poppy mm -hmm. tile and it's just transformed it. And they would have been quite difficult decisions to have made off a finishes spec and a, a CAD drawing package. Yeah, to get the client to buy into yeah. it, yeah. So it's Whereas they saw it, they felt it, here's one, here's where we are, what do you think about this? Uh, a simple change actually in a CGI. Mm. So it's a, it's a really, really amazing tool. Or just eye lines and sight lines. You know how you can't possibly know from a CAD drawing pack when you walk into a space, just there may be a piece of cabinetry that just spoils everything. You see it in 3D and you know that's going to happen straight away. Yeah. Just transitions and eye lines. Yeah. So they are amazing tools actually. So I would say on balance, they massively improve. Um, they just add though, don't they? They're adding to our scope, adding to our time. Yeah, I was going to say, and then the opposite of that, I worked on the Southern Justice Centre uh, and we built a full-size courtroom for a police station. For We did Crown Courts, Magistrates Courts and Civil Courts, but we built it full-scale in a theatre and then we had the judges come in and everybody come in and sit around the room so they could make sure the sight lines worked because I don't know how you could model that and you want them to buy into the design. So we got them all in and they all sat in all of the positions. Were they dressed up? No. <laughs> but yeah, but something like that, that's physically, which is amazing to say that they built it to scale. And actually the technology wasn't helping you there. You actually needed a physical yeah. model. Yeah, and you couldn't yes. explain that. You can show them a visual saying that's what you would see, but you're like, can I see their eyes, which is what they want to do, yeah. so yeah. But I think the other thing that the, 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 the technology allows you to do is, as you mentioned it, Matt, is just all those junction details. Whereas, mm. you know, being absolutely clear, crystal clear in your information about how you want that niche set out. Yeah. You know, are the tiles going that way or are they going that way? It's just... But that's people's passions that, you know, that, oh, that's mine. Yes. How these things go together. How does that look? How does that interface with that? That's the bits that I like doing. And you're like, right, you can have that now because I'm happy that this has happened and yeah. But if you've got a shell and core or a very, you know, linesy structured kind of space, empty space, and you're putting things into it, you can have that control. If you're re-befurbishing an existing space, mm. depending on the strip and how accurately that's been done and how accurately the builder's survey mm. subsequently has been done and communicated back to you, all kinds of things can go wrong with those junctions and transitions yeah. on site. Yeah. Um, and it's those decisions, isn't it? Whether if you have a good team, they'll call you and say, it's not quite working. And it could be that the wall, it looks straight on the, the survey. It's not yeah. straight, it's not in reality. Um, we have an issue, do you want to come down to site? Should we problem solve it together? Brilliant, if you can. Um, or I've, I've, I've photographed it in several different ways. I think it could be this or this. Mm. What do we think? And you brainstorm it, but, but that's, that's a good scenario, yeah. isn't it? There are lots of scenarios where that conversation is not had no. and something is just forced it, into it, a... Like WhatsApp, you know, just to be able to be able to send someone a picture of something on your well, phone. You'd be bothered, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh yes, but the fact is you don't have to go to site now that somebody can actually send you two or three pics on, a, on your phone and you can go, they go, look, we've, we've encountered this, what do we do? And you kind of go, oh yeah, I can see what they mean. Maybe we could do X, Y, will that work? You know, phone them up. Mm. Which I guess in the past you'd have had to drop down to site, wouldn't you? But that could have been two or three hours, depending on where site was, or longer. So, and, and then how would that have worked in terms of fee charging? Do you think the drive for this this quality drive is influenced by client expectations, or how much of it's coming from us, and how much how much of it's coming from them? I think in if in my heart, I have we have definitely client expectations. Um, often there is no architect on our projects. 
they just deem that we are capable of doing it and that the quality of our drawing packs, which are not like, they are not construction drawing packs, they are very detailed design, design intention changes. packs. However, a lot of the subbies or the contractors or the joinery makers, they will, they will work from our drawings, which of course is a bit of a danger and you don't want that to be the case and you want to get shop drawings back. It doesn't always happen. So I think the lack of a, let's say, really technically, a technical knowledge PM who may have been an architect, for example, in the past, and you work together and you just you just get your drawing pack into shape, don't you? And you, you problem solve all of those kind of things. The lack of that layer on our projects means that the expectation is that we we fill that void somehow. But I also think there's a fear of things going wrong and, and of um, liability right. and having to pay for things that may go wrong. So you try and do your utmost to avoid anything going wrong. Um, not that it would be your fault if it did because it could be a misinterpretation of a drawing or the lack of a decent survey yeah. or whatever, whatever, but any number of things, but you try and avoid it by over-delivering on the detail. Do you do you think it's clients or designers? Um, what I tend to do is do benchmarking, so send over examples of the quality that I think the client deserves and that meets the budget, but then that's the thing, if, it, if you've not got a QS on board, you can show them those <laughs> things and then it might be lower, but or going, going shopping and looking at furniture and saying, this is where your budget will get you. And then you manage their expectations and if they're thinking. But I, I, I actually think that because people travel and stay in five-star hotels and go to beautiful restaurants and things, their expectations are, they're much more design savvy than they were 20 years ago. Mm. Whereas once upon a time, a beautiful bathroom might have just been a fabulous vanity unit with a, a nice marble top. Now we are expecting all those niches and the joints and the junctions and the hidden lights and all the, the little details and the, the shadow gaps, and and all those things. They're, they're almost seen as standard, particularly with any high-end projects, certainly. And I, I think that that's also because clients see it and because we can deliver it, we've shot ourselves in the foot a bit. As long as you've designed to do that level of detail, or your, sorry, your fee covers that level of detail, then... Then it's fine. Yeah, but that's what I mean by showing examples of what... But how what do you you're know what you're going to be detailing when you put your fee proposal together? Um, I think usually how because they... How your project do you think it's going to be? They come, I think when you look at the project, I would estimate based on... The, the individual projects and what the finishes are based on the discussions that we've had. So if they want stone in the bathrooms, you know that it's going to be expensive. What if there is no telling? It's, it's for us to come up with that. We don't actually get told any of those well, I know, things. I know but then you've got to have some sort of idea. Mm -hmm. I suppose if you're putting a percentage on for your fee and you say the overall bill cost will have 12% of that. So We obviously charge differently. We don't do percentages. Mm. Just from so different. I mean, everybody, actually, we charge slightly differently. on. You know, it just... It's a learning process charging as well, isn't it? Client, clients can cheat on that too. I, I know of a project, I was not involved in it, thank goodness, where the stone budget on this, it was a big house in Mayfair, and the stone budget was several million pounds, and they, the client... Stone budget, yeah, stone, seven yeah. <laughs> several, several, not seven, several. Um, and the client said, oh, no, no, we're, we're taking all that stone out of the package. So the designer who was charging on a percentage basis lost that yeah, money sure. and then the client the contracts were signed and then the client added it all back in oh, a little bit by little bit no and knowing full well exactly what he was doing this was so premeditated percentage on uh, i'm not in your contract i don't charge. know how the con how the <laughs> how the contract was structured but it just meant that the client and then the designer ended up doing all that work and wasn't actually paid for it so you know that that's not hard and fast either i know a lot of um designers now are only quoting to 
RIB, at the end of RIBA stage two, so concept design. Yeah. And then they say to their clients, once Based we've established, we know we're designing, yeah. then we mm. will give you yeah. the three proposals. Sometimes they won't take They it. don't like it because they want, <laughs> if they're planning a project, they want to know what they the, want to have an idea of what the on cost yeah. might be. So yeah. again, I try and do range prices beyond that. Yeah. It could be indicative. Yeah. Oh, you know, it, it's really it's tricky. Really what about this increase in the level of detail? Has it changed how you work with contractors? Again, it really depends on the contractor. So if there's a real goodie, if if there's a real goodie, they, I know, well, and they have all the trades in house, let's say they have joinery, they have metal work, they have, you know, so let's say on a bar restaurant project, you know, you've so much custom joinery um, and, and the integration of all of those things. If you have a goodie, um, they just know their stuff and they'll bring people to roundtable meetings and you go through your drawing packs and you know you're, you're problem solving and brainstorming in the moment and and the more meetings you have together that the, the more detailed the handover of the pack i find the better um but what if the the trades are split you know there is a contractor notionally but mm. m&e is being done by someone else joinery is being done by someone else Electricals being done by someone else, so there's just a there's a notional, but it's really really difficult, and that's where I find that it becomes very difficult the coordination process, and that's where we start having to become even more involved in nagging and making requesting information you about orchestrated, don't you? You have to make sure that everybody's Can you check in a way? Yes, and it's it's it can be truly maddening, and, and I'm not sure clients understand that. And it could have been a, there could have been a cost reason why mm. it was simpler to to split those trades, mm. but it never works to the benefit of the project, and it certainly doesn't work for the interior designer. Yeah, my the recent residential project I worked on, the details that were more complicated. We had them made in full size for each of the finishes. A prototype, great. So we had maybe seven or eight for the projects of all the difficult details that they weren't sure whether they would work, which they all did work in the end. But I think they were, I suppose, created through CAD and through SketchUp. And we're like, can you do this? Because we think it'll look gorgeous. And then they go, uh, okay. And then yes is the answer. But that was a higher end project. So we have the budgets to do those things. Which is always good to work on those projects. <laughs> it, so, are there any other ways that it might have changed the contractor's role? Do you do you think they're you know do they rely too heavily on us? If it's a design and build contract, then that's slightly different. If you can do your technical specs and give them the finishes for them to match, and they can put in contractors' proposals, and then you give it over to them, and then they're responsible for the finished product, but you've given your design intent, then that might if they can bring somebody in like a specialist who's specific about, like the, we're working on another project where the lead contractor was a joinery company and it was a lot of joinery. So they looked at it completely differently and came with lots of solutions rather than a construction contractor. No. Yes, yes, sir. No, and then they would approach it in a different way again. So having someone that's within that specialism of what's the majority of the project, then that's usually a better place to start if you can request that. Don't know if you get very far, but try. So it varies on every project, doesn't it? Yeah. The quality of the team that you you end yeah, up working no, with, absolutely. and how hands-on the client is as well. Because actually, I've got particularly one client at the moment. She's so impressive. She knows everything about everything, M and E, you know, um, extraction. Just just everything. She's so hands-on, and actually, that's fabulous because she'll pick up on things rather than us worrying about mm. integration. 
mm. or coordination. Uh, she's she's on those things too. So we'll we'll give a little nudge occasionally, but it's it's much less work. But that's very rare and unusual. And does it put more pressure on you, some of these issues that we've described with contractors, to, to actually do more? It does, particularly coordination. Um, mm. Going back to you know the fact that there may not be an independent project manager on all of our projects, often there isn't. You know, mm. I'm thinking of a residential project, there was an architect, there's a lead contractor, uh, but we got the client to engage a lighting designer, um, there was a separate joinery firm brought in, not, not, not under our wing, but recommended by us because they, they're really great. Um, but there was no pure um, that would project manager, so you're just constantly thinking, well, if the lighting designer, have they finished their, con you know, we've, we've come up with the initial concept, then they've developed it, have they finished that? Because if they haven't finished that, then we know that first fix is coming soon, and if that doesn't, then you just know, you know the process and you know what's going to really get in the way of the, your, your coolest idea. You fall into the role of it, though. So you fall into yeah. the role of it, you think we're not, this was nowhere in the fee. But I think, I think interior designers have this chronic, inability not to over deliver no, you know, know we're just so it's, it's people pleasing we're so <laughs> people pleasing and i think the other thing is that because a lot of the guys on site are can't or won't won't make a decision the impetus is back onto you to actually nut out that detail and give them the instruction awesome. even when it may not be your specialty as it, well it it's a very complex yes yes um my most recent experience was with a very good contractor and he was into everything and he would come with lots of solutions to things. So I had a very good experience that recently. Yes. Which is lovely, yes. Do you think clients' expectations have also changed? And does this come down to a fundamental misunderstanding about the role of the interior designer? From my, from my experience, uh, there's a lot of confusion about the role of the interior designer and where we sit vis-a-vis -vis an architect. Um, so for the BID, I did a paper with Lester Bennett. We actually did a paper trying to explain the areas of overlap because there are lots of areas of overlap between us and architects mm -hmm. um, from, from everything from the spatial design to you know door openings, window openings, um, joinery, transitions. Mm -hmm. They are areas of overlap, but where there are both parties on a project, there are still very defined roles. And as long as you have a kind of uh, drawing issue list of matrix responsibilities matrix, yeah. which says who's who's the lead on doing that drawing and is there some input from us because actually some joined up thinking is where the magic happens mm. because we're about creating a home or a space that people are going to be in and socialize and be within um, and I, I see it as quite a fundamentally different um, role. So there are areas of overlap, but uh, but I, I found it really difficult sometimes, even with that document that me and Lester put together, to explain to clients the difference between us and an architect and where our role may start and stop and where really, um, I'll give you an example in a minute, really where an architect needs to, to take over. So I, for example, found myself under a huge amount of pressure on one uh, restaurant project where the project manager who had been an architect previously wanted me to do the setting out drawing for all of the walls within the space so we had done a ga it was an empty space we had shown walls but we'd requested what depth and thickness they should be because we're not creating the build-ups and we're not drawing the walls and um, we'd plotted the bar and the restaurant and the back office and the dry store and the cold store everything but wanted me to create the actual construction setting out. Yeah, not the not the drawing of the wall build-ups, but to define the setting out for the builders to start creating the walls. And I said, well, how can I possibly do that? I don't know how you're going to construct the walls. I don't know mm. whether they're going to be chunky and cheap 
or thin and more expensive. I know there are different types, but it's just not my training. I can't possibly. He said, I, I need you to do it. So I fretted over, I, I got kind of bullied into it really. So I, I talked to a few friends over the weekend, business and architectural friends, and they just, the advice I got, I mean, at the time, it was just so awful. I'm thinking about my liability, my insurance is, is to just plot the, the center line. I was just going to say the center line. Plot the center line. Yeah. So you do whatever happens after that and the knock on effect that that may then have within the, the available space within each. But it was highly political and it was really, really difficult. Created a problem in the relationship, which we got over and we ended on a really good positive note. But but that, there was a fundamental misunderstanding about but I think where, it, what it my comes role should be. The, the, the architect may not have included for the setting out drawings, so he's looking for someone else he can shove that onto too. Well, there wasn't an architect. That was oh, the there wasn't there an wasn't. architect. Right, got it, got it, got it. And they didn't want to pay for one to do well, what So you... I said, hire an architect. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. happily collaborate yeah. with an architect so they can come up with their setting out and I will see what impact that has on our, our general GA. Just like you to do it, please. Yeah, because you get into the realms then of choosing a specific partition type, and it depends what the floor and ceiling height is. Builder, and then you're liable for that. Then, yeah, acoustics. Yeah, all at, of it. at that point, Anna, could you have the conversation to say, "You can pay us for that to do that and drawing." Subcontract to an architect or a technician. Yes, actual technician. At the time, I said, "Well, if you don't want to engage an architect, I could do that. Just it could be come, come under our. There was. It, I just want you to do it by Monday morning." Just sorted out. Impression. And did you charge for it? Uh, I mean, because we were plotting the centre line, it didn't take that much time. No, that's yeah. true. Okay, fair point. Matt, you mentioned coordination before. Do you put a section into your fee proposals to cover off some time for coordinating with other yes. other team members? Yeah. So it depends. Are the team is in subcontract. Well, yeah. Wider design team. If you know you're dealing with an architect and a structural engineer and an M and E consultant, for example, do you have a chunk in your fee proposal that says we're allowing X amount to deal with all these guys and the toing and froing? Yeah, yeah. So regular meetings with them. Yeah. So what time and for the, that? And that's usually is yeah, it's usually a senior person to oversee what's happening, and then junior time for chasing things and day-to-day -day running yeah. of projects. Because yeah. I think that's something that maybe some designers forget to include for. I've tried and I've tried to um, have have a obviously there's it's the stage you know pre-production fabrication stage three, stage, yeah. stage three to five actually isn't it <laughs> then through the life of the pre-production phase as well I've I've tried to have a kind of allocated amount per month I think to allow for being able to go back and say with 45 emails and counting with joinery firm or or, the, or, the or, or who, whoever or the combination. Yeah. And I, think, I always think of it as if it's time I have to go and sit somewhere else to do it, then it's separate time. If you're doing it while you're doing other things, then not so much. But if you can actually say I sat and I did emails for one hour on this morning, caught up on everything, then you could charge them. So I make sure I go and sit and I just focus on that project's emails and make sure you get through them all and try and check emails first thing in the morning and after lunch and then don't look unless someone rings. Because otherwise you get bogged down answering emails all day and it's like never-ending trail so yeah so the level of detailing a lot of it's about not wanting to get sued it's about not wanting to have to pay for extent expensive mistakes that you might be deemed liable for absolutely all of that but also wanting it to be an amazing case study of course because let's say if it's residential you know, it's, no one else may see that property. The right. client's happy, it's <laughs> photographed beautifully, um, friends see it, but, but otherwise. But you still want it to be amazing, don't you? Because you still want to have the word of mouth and you want to have the testimonial. A commercial project, 
a bar, a restaurant in the centre of Soho that everyone's going to mm. go to and every prospective new client is also going to go and visit to see what the level of finish is like. So the, the, the pressure is on for even, <laughs> because if the level isn't there, despite your drawings, despite your best efforts, despite, 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 people will still think that you as a designer didn't, didn't do the right care thing. enough. Yeah. yeah, so you might not get sued, but actually, it's not. Yeah, it, it's it's reputation. it's reputation. Yeah. So the fear is there, and that's why you will over deliver, over deliver, over check, over engage with the contractor to try and make sure that they involve you rather than um, freezing you out. Is there anything else that designers and architects can do to help contractors? What we've been trying to experiment with is just more collaboration. Getting the design pack, the design intentions to a point, not to final stage, end of stage four drawings, before that, getting it to a good stage of three, mm. early, early doors in Reba stage a four, concept. a developed concept, a drawing pack, mm. elevations, some initial sketch joinery details, for example, and just meeting on site if there's been some development in terms of the partitions or just the spaces and workshopping together yeah. on site. These are the finishes. This is what we're expecting them to look like, again, when they meet each other. Um, and this is a setting out and if you see anything that doesn't look like this then please ring us and ask us, don't finish it and send me a photo and say this looks rubbish. The only thing is if you haven't documented it, when they actually get to site, you do your workshop and then you know six weeks later they're actually installing it, have they forgotten? Or the guy that you talked to has gone sick and it's someone else there? Sure, that's so then obviously it needs following up doesn't it and I guess you're, you're drawing to the, what the, out, the outcomes from the workshop, you're then doing the next layer but you're right, the person who was problem solving with you may not be on site um, so then, again, you can find yourself going down to site yeah. more than you, maybe you'd factored mm. into the project as well, just to make sure that things are being done correctly. But and CGI is for showing site as well and talking. So that's what we usually do is talk through the presentation that you're giving to the client. This is what we're looking to achieve. This is how it's going to look. Here's a CGI, I'll print it off, pop it on the wall. And that's what we're trying to achieve and get them into it and get them understanding what the goal is and the quality level it does really and help carry them carry them along with it rather and then show the materials and then yeah yeah the expectation and certainly the materiality the production values we find that cgi's where we've done cgi's photo real really good ones the quality at the end is so much better because everybody understands the aspiration mm. that it, you want the the vintageness of the wood to look like that whereas you know a finishes spec and a cad drawing yeah, it's not that, that engaging. <laughs> the problem yeah. is, of course, that that's, that can work for commercial clients because they're often willing to pay for the CGI's because right. there's a huge cost right. associated with the production of CGI's because they can use them in their marketing materials. Marketing as well. All that stuff, you know, sales brochures started out. We've done big, big, resi, you know, blocks of flats and things where they've used our CGI's for their brochures and their website and mm. all that stuff. Mm. And that works fine. But you're never going to get that for residential, Coffee. or very, very rarely will you get that for residential. I mean, you may have worked on some yeah. very high-end ones where you've done yeah, them, so where you do. have done them, yeah. but generally speaking, not. It tends to be rendered elevations and then images of the furniture. But again, it's still explaining it to the contractor mm -hmm. and explaining what's the most important details. Don't yeah. tell them the generic things. Let them do that and give them some ownership. But this bit, I want it to be exactly that. Right, so Here picking out detail. those things that are the must-haves yeah. and maybe letting a little bit of the other slide. Well, because you don't want to teach them how to suck eggs and it's like, I'll just, I'm just saying this is the most important bit. The rest, up to you. You've got the drawings, but it's these key things. It is. So, so I did a, sorry, I did a, a patchwork floor. There were multiple different designs of tiles and I'd done, it was like iteration number eight that I was happy with. 
and I literally took the boxes of tiles and I labelled them on the back with a marker pen. And they were in like A's, B's, C, D, you know, and the tiler wanted to no joke kill me when I turned up with these boxes <laughs> and the things. Felt condescended to, I, and I understood that. And I just tried to be as warm and friendly as I could and said, I, I've just tried to make, just, make just trying easy. to make your life easier. And I know, and I really hope you're not feeling. Anyway, by the end, it looked amazing, obviously, but he, it would have been done wrong. I mean, 100% it would have been done wrong. And then yeah. how do you go back from that? Do you have to order the tiles again? They're on a six week lead time. The client doesn't want to pay. Anyway, by the end, he was really grateful, but it, but it was a process and it was just. But how long did it take you to sit on the floor and label time. with a Sharpie at the backs yeah, of all those tiles? days of the career, it needed to look knockout. Yeah, Anna, you've got to give me an example of working less, not working more. <laughs> okay, so where we are, because we do need to do that. <laughs> we absolutely do need, as a business, we need to do that. We're um, working on, you know, big, complex projects and our pa drawing packs are just more detailed than they've ever been. You know, so we have to work, we do have to work smarter. So what I'm trying to work on at the moment are some educational type documents for our clients and the contractors, which show the different levels of detail mm. in the early part of the process. So for example, I've got a document that is um, even just GAs, you know, what, what level of detail do you have on your GAs? How covered in dimensions is it? Are we doing breakouts? Um, you know, are we doing ceiling heights? Are we, do, you know, just what's the, mm -hmm. do you want A, do you want B or do you want C? Because if you want C, I need to work out how to charge for C. Um, joinery, there is a sketch level of joinery. Mm. Sketch, so, you know, there's, there's a, you know, an elevation aside, a plan, and then there's a working drawing, and they are a world apart in terms of yeah. the time it takes to do. So I've, again, I've got a document that says, do you want this, this or this? Same with signage. Do you want us to just come up with the idea for it and a kind of, you know, an elevation? Or do you want us to actually kind of put together the, the finishes spec and the actual kind of, you know, the, the, the detailed technical plan? So making it visual is helping the clients to understand the different mm. levels of detail, whereas they would just say, well, it's just a joinery pack. But going back to your example of the, the numbered floor, you didn't know when you put your fee proposal together, that, and I take it that it was the early days of your career, but you didn't know, you wouldn't know now if you were going to end up with a numbered floor in your design when you do that fee proposal. Of course, so I what, could have so big slabs. You could have. And to make your life easy, you could have just done big slabs. And I'm sure there must be designers out there to do, do, do big, big, big slabs. Remember, do big slabs. <laughs> that is the solution to all our problems. <laughs> yeah, I just can't do big slabs. But that's what you were saying about wanting to do a good job and do what's best for the project. You know that that would have looked the best. If and you'd have put big slabs of grey in. Just include an extra section perhaps for design development. Are we not front-ending? enough in our fees for some of this stuff that we all end up doing. Numbers of revisions, numbers of meetings. But then the, 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 it comes down to how much of that will the client bear? If your design fee in a competitive situation ends up being double Joe's, and actually, you know, you, we all know that no two fee proposals are really saying the they same thing. Apples for pears, are they? They're never apples for pears or apples for apples. But, you know, the they're client... They're always apples for pears. They're, they're always apples for pears, <laughs> that's yeah. Um, <laughs> But the clients don't see it, and it's very hard to explain that. And I know I've lost projects because I've priced things honestly, knowing how much time it's going to cost me yeah. or take. And then when, when I pitch for things before, you pitch for a show apartment, you win the show apartment, and then they want the presentation that you've pitched for, and that's it. There's no design development. It's literally so that's that's it. almost like you've done a concept You've already. done that work for nothing then. You've, you've given your time, you've put the finishes together, you've done that, and then that's it. We'll have that, please. And you're like, okay, and then... You're like, oh, but I might have developed it a bit more, and you want to do more, but they've, that's what I'll have, and you're like, okay. But that, you've done that for free. Yeah. 
So that's the other thing, getting away from doing things for free. Even just a £5,000 or £2,000, just something to show willing and to cover costs maybe, rather than spending lots of time doing a lot of work that then you give to them and they could just as easily take that and ask another designer to do it. Yeah, so it's really, it's, 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 it's trying to allow for a, a certain amount of flexibility in the fee from design stage three and four onwards, but it just really depends on the client. Yeah, it really totally does. Actually, there was another thing that we, we've started producing a lot of typical details. Yes, I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah. What sort of typical details do you typically produce? So typically, typical details, <laughs> um, bathrooms tend to be um, thoroughly detailed, but if you can do a niche drawing once with stone, and then you can do different skirting profiles, for example, or floor junction details, you can keep those on sheets and then just issue the ones that you need for that project. Um, coving details, wall panelling details. Sitting yeah, so there's a lot of those ones and socket setting out, yeah, out heights. Absolutely. So there's a lot of that that you can use on each project or sort of pick from what you have. So there's an initial investment of time because you're building up that library effectively. But you still want... I don't like the idea that someone's copying and pasting those details as well because you have to check that that detail is specific to that project. To that. So if you've already done it as a typical detail, you go, it's there, but you've got to check the finishes, check the thin thickness, check the specification, make, and make sure it all aligns. So it's not from a client's point of view, oh, you've already done that, here you go. If you want, you don't want that. <laughs> it's, it's there, so we've done the forethought. But, but there has to be a piece also, you know, otherwise we'd always just be working for the same, you know, if you were only ever charging for your time, our skill has value. Yes, so the fact that you've done it once and you're reissuing it to another client doesn't mean it doesn't have value because yeah. that's your talent and that's the skill that you're bringing to the project. So you shouldn't give those typical details away for nothing. You should be still going through saying, I'm charging you, you know, but, 100 quid for that and 100 quid, and, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. maybe the project you originally created them for was one of those where the scope well, just kind of, you know, you was off the scale. Yes. Yeah. So I'm squirrelling <laughs> some of that back. Um, what I was going to say is about juniors as well. So they're the ones that tend to start looking at those details, but they also need to understand how it works. There's no point in them just taking a detail, copying and pasting it. So you're still going to have those conversations about this is how it looks, this is why it's drawn like that, and then maybe they can start drawing other ones. But having that that you use all of the time is a good reference for them and a good learning tool as well. So staff training internally is really important. Yeah. So when you're walking around site, you can say, what, what detail is that? <laughs> and then try and get them to think and think about the drawing package and locating things. And it's the structure of the drawing package as well and how you cross-reference everything, not to repeat information. So you've got one sort of succinct location where everything is. It's, uh, it's all complex, isn't it? And actually, I think it's tough for the juniors, actually, in today's industry. It's tougher than it maybe was in the past because well, the what because we're producing is way, exactly. way more complex. Yeah, it's a big jump from... Because I'm teaching in Sheffield at the moment on their interior architecture course. And if you think from where they are third years to then being in fully employed and especially COVID, people are working at home, you need those people in, you need senior people in showing them what to do. Learning by osmosis, yeah. hearing you on the phone, so dealing with situations. Important. So important. I understand. Watching you solve problems. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I understand the sustainability and people traveling and commuting to work. But yeah, it's your career it's and it's what you need to know. It's, it's a balance. Yeah. Does this impact staff in any other ways? It does because when I when I was a junior, I was working, I suppose, 40 hours a week. Sometimes it would go to 50, 60. And then I found diaries where I've been doing 67 hours a week. 
and I really think it's it's such a bad position to be in because for those 37 and a half hours you're working you're employed to be your best during that time and then if you go and do a whole 30 hours on top of it then those 30 hours or with the 67 are you actually doing a very good quality of work and you should just be focusing on those 37 and a half hours and you shouldn't be expected to do lots of overtime um, and I don't I got some loo time for some of it but not not all of it not nowhere near and I've never been being paid overtime but I think a lot of people in the industry feel like they have to work long hours to get the recognition because their career is dependent on them doing it but as long as you do if you're doing something really valuable if you're doing lots of concept work and you can say I've been doing all these amazing things but if you sat doing ceiling details for months on end and you're working really long hours then that's not doing anything for your mental conditions. health or your yeah. your well-being it is, it is an industry culture we do all work ridiculous hours always have done yeah I would say the senior senior levels in in in, in company like ours work long hours that I, I think there's a fairly healthy I'd say the healthy the happy medium is somewhere in between, isn't it? I come from a, you know, m many different industries and working ridiculous hours on my way up. Mm. And that's just, and now I'm a business owner with my husband and we work ridiculous. You know, it's just, it's just, it's what we've always known. Some of the younger members of the, you know, they, they're quite, you know, firm about the hours that they're prepared to do. Um, the more senior level, more ambitious, want to make an mm. impression upon us, want to see themselves progress. They, they put in the longer hours um, and then everyone will pull a, a late shift yeah, sometimes. Everybody, yeah. Everyone. Um, yeah. Yeah. But sometimes it's also just the, again, I think coming back to the slight unreasonableness of expectations um, or deadlines that can be set um, on a project. We need that by Wednesday and you've only been briefed on it on the Monday, and, but it, but it's it's get, going to have such a knock-on effect with the rest of the project that you feel duty-bound to... Yeah, to so not agreeing, not agreeing to things without checking the office that you've got time to cover it. And then if you can't meet deadlines, Either your staff are not well trained enough to meet the deadlines you've agreed or the fee was wrong when you put the fee in originally and you have to, to quickly catch up with yourself to get it done. And you have to do that during time that's unbillable because the project can't afford for you to put an extra person on it. But often this happens when it's an unforeseen change. You know, suddenly something has to happen yes. by Wednesday yes. and you only found out about it on Monday. Yes. This is not something that generally the interior designer has planned for. It's something that's been inflicted on. Inflicted and therefore, you know, you can either say no, dig your heels in, but be very unpopular with the client. Or you can try and try and pull it off somehow. Yeah. But then you can do. But then if you do it that one time and then it'll go, As it'll an go. And it, that you can like handle. standing yes. your ground or making a massive fuss and being like, for this one time, we will do this for you because you're a valued client but it will not happen regularly so we just don't have the capacity or we can't deliver That's the nice project firm, isn't it? <laughs> i'm not sure we've really solved it <laughs> this is the part of the of the podcast where we like to ask our guests for a bit of a something crazy that's happened to them on site so this week we'd like to say well this month we'd like to say could you give me an example of the maddest funniest worst misinterpretation of a drawing or an instruction you've ever come across on site I've had quite a few corkers in terms of joinery recently where we've angsted over our beautiful design intention drawings and we've got the angles and the comfort factor of our backrests and and then maybe it's been a project where we haven't had direct access to the joinery firm making those that, that seating. We've requested it, we've been anxious about it, we've wanted to have that access, we've wanted to see photographs and all that job and then when you get there, I mean it's heartbreaking when you get there and it's just... Oh. very very wrong 
So one instance where the backrest, honestly, if I didn't know better, it was a mattress. It was literally a mattress that has just been sat on top of the, you know, the base, the base cushion and wrapped in fabric. It feels as chunky as a single mattress. It probably is a single mattress. Um, I mean, hor horrifying. Um, and just one of those, I mean, just, just awful. And one of those awful situations where you have to just alert the client to what's happened and obviously, you know, cover yourself by showing the drawings and the detail and mm. the fact that this is absolutely just how on earth has this happened. But of course, possibly guests are arriving in three days time. What do you do? You know? we, we had one with a very, very, very expensive handmade wallpaper, a Dugonet wallpaper, where despite the fact that we had all the elevations and everything is done to the nth degree and we have a, a jibbed door going through into the kitchen from the dining room, which is going to be covered in this beautiful paper, terribly expensive gold leaf, etc, etc. And the wallpaper contractor decided he was going to go off piste, didn't bother looking at the drawings and thought, I know, I've got a great idea, I'll show more of the gold on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Which meant that nothing else oh, lined didn't line up. Lined oh, beautiful! <laughs> just and it was it and was like yeah. So then what happened? Well, so he had to replace the piece of at piece of that cost. one at his cost. At his cost. Yeah, oh, but you know, a, it was just it was just. We've also had um, you go into the restaurant and you think, oh, first impressions. It's like, and you think, hang on, where where are the pendants? And they have been hung almost kind of skinning the ceiling. <laughs> And on the drawings, obviously, you've got the drop, you've got the dimensions. You think, okay, you think, don't worry, it's okay. It's three days till launch. There's plenty of time. We can have it drop, but the cable's been cut, you know? <laughs> <laughs> then, oh, I mean, yeah. again, I mean, I'm laughing, but obviously you want to cry at the time, don't you? Because everyone's going to think you designed yeah. that. Um, yeah, did it on purpose. I just, I, just, I, I, think, I guess just going to a positive, there's been lots of kind of, you know, salutary lessons and it's, it's a tough, it's a tough whole business, isn't it, for us? It's a tough whole business. But I would say that overall, I'm really proud of what we produce in terms of our design. Mm. And I, I, I just want to be paid well enough for the level of detail, but I don't ever want to go backwards. I actually don't want to do a sort of halfway house design. I don't want to do sketch level joinery drawings and hand it over to a contractor. I don't actually want that to do that. Yeah. Mm. So I, I feel really proud of how far we've come and the fact that we are taking so much more seriously than yeah. we used to as a profession. Yeah. Um, and we really do give some of the architect firms a run for their money in terms of, yeah. I just really think we do. Um, so I think I think there's there's lots of positives. It's about, um, I guess, that catch up, isn't it? It's catch up. Would you have one piece of advice for designers on working smarter? Stick to your scope. Um, avoid scope creep. Avoid scope creep. And get yourself a mentor. So I've, I always had somebody that I could go to and ask if I wasn't sure, even to ask the stupid questions. Um, that was always comforting to make sure that, and it's also people have done things before and you're never, hardly ever gonna be reinventing, or you're just reinventing the wheel. So someone going to someone that's done these things before a lot and just checking in before you spend hours looking at details for things and then realise that you've drawn the skirting the wrong height or stupid things like that. Actually being part of a community and being part of the BRID, oh, I, that's one of the huge things I value yeah. because we mm -hmm. talk, yeah, we we're do, friends, yeah. we talk and we all face similar things, don't we, in our businesses and actually it's so reassuring to feel that you're not alone. You're alone. Yeah, but that's the thing. Helping being... each other with solutions or little top tips. I come away every time, you come mm. away, don't you, with I'll try that. That's a good idea. I'll try that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
but learning to walk away from clients as well. That's the other thing. I've, yes. I've noticed a lot of people yeah. mention that yes. they've fired yeah, their clients. Yeah, it's quite clients. liberating, actually. We, 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 <laughs> and you, yeah, it's gone the other way. And do you know what actually inspires a lot of respect in your team as well? Because sometimes it's protecting them, too, mm. isn't it? Where possibly the client wouldn't have treated you as the business owner in that way, but they might have. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've, we've tended to get a lot of kind of team spirit from mm. those situations yeah. when they've realised that we we won't put up with certain yeah. things. It's rare, it's rare, isn't it? But sometimes it's very important. Yeah. Good on you. Okay, right. Well, I think we, we have seriously run out of time. We have seriously run out of time. <laughs> so I just wanted to say thank you so much to Matt and Anna for your time today. You. I think it's been a really fascinating conversation. I've learned loads. I always learn loads in these things. Um, and thank you so much for, for, for participating. Thanks yeah, great much. conversation. Thank Thanks so much. been really interesting <laughs> and not at all depressing. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Thank you too to Havewoods for hosting us here today. It's been uh, wonderful and the showroom has been a, a great environment to do this talk. So thank you very much Havewoods. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode and please do get in touch on our social channels to share any feedback. The Interior Design Business is a Wildwood Plus production. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>